Well, this will be a fun day. Um, you know, for the, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. We're kind of tracking through the book of 1 Peter. And, um, you know, as we processed, uh, kind of made plans for these, this passage, we thought it would be good to take two weeks and turn our face to, to, to this passage. And we thought we would, we really needed the voice of our wives. So last week, Chad and Londa were here and uh, they shared with us. And then uh, Brad and Kelly were in Tulsa. And this week, uh, Robin and I are, you got us today, and, and uh, uh, Keith and Amy are in Tulsa. And so it'll be a lot of fun. Now, now, being a pastor's wife, I think I'm so grateful. She makes me look better. Um, but it, but it's, it's challenging being a pastor's wife, and and uh, and we've had some funny experiences in this town. Uh, like uh, like uh, there was this one time that Robin and I. I'm going off script here. Um, uh, she's looking like, wait a minute. I know a story you're going to tell. Uh, so um, <laughs> we're at Walmart, and um, we just moved here. Yeah, we hadn't been here very long. Just I guess. just moved. Yeah. And uh, so we're at Walmart, and. Um, and we just kind of split up to get our grocery list. And, uh, and so I was looking for green beans or something. And so I'm on an aisle, and I run into Robin. And, uh, and I'm, she goes, hey, how you doing? I go, fine, looking for some green beans. And she goes, I think it's on the aisle next, just right over there. She goes, do you come here very often? And I go, yep. <laughs> and I go, I'll just go look for the green beans. And this lady comes up to her and goes, ma'am, he's a pastor and he's married. <laughs> and, uh, and so, <laughs> I said, I know, I'm the one that sleeps with him. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you said that. There we go. That's good. Uh, right there, babe. <laughs> um, but, but it is challenging being a pastor's wife. Like, uh, you know, being a pastor's wife, I often, it's an opportunity for her to offer some forgiveness to me. Uh, like, um, you know, maybe there was that one time, I've got a couple of memes for this, that, that one time I was, did an impromptu illustration about, you know, Robin was sad over our empty nest. I don't know if you were here that Sunday, but uh, I might have fallen, like her, she was on the front row going, what in the world did you just say? Um, and she kind of looked like this, uh, I think. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of yeah, like that. And then there's one other one. Uh, yeah, we should, and here, and here's what I said. Here's what I said when when I I said, you know, Robin was sad and crying over the fact that we're an empty nest now. And I said, honey, I took my shirt off and said, honey, you still have me. And that's kind of what she yikes. Uh, so I'm sorry. Do you have anything to say about any of that? I think let's move on okay. and let that be in the past. And the hope that we have for this morning is that as we look at this passage, that we really will find wonderful insight into how we can magnify the gospel as a married couple. And I'm going to be sharing specific things for the wives today. And we just are excited to be a part of this amazing moment. So... Why don't let's, we just move on? Okay, let's okay. move on. Okay, so you know, as we've gotten into First Peter, it's really important. It's an important book for us because as you think about how when Jesus established the church, God's people have been trying to figure out how to engage the world they're in. And, and here we are in 2022 working to discover how we engage our culture. And, and you know... We, one of the values of our church is that we say we are called to be ambassadors for Christ, that we're to represent Christ to the world that we're in. 
But here's what's happening right in front of our eyes. You, you we're seeing that um, the, the world is, is, this culture that we're in is kind of becoming more and more hostile to biblical principles. And this is a passage in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, that really highlights some biblical principles that it's, and there's a growing hostility to, our, to, to follow, putting God's word into practice in our world. But, but here's the reality. Here's, here's what God, God's word does for us. God's word shapes our beliefs and our practices. God's word remains, like Psalm 119, 105 says, God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And here's where we are as a church that we are unapologetically allowing God to shape our thinking, God's word to shape our thinking, God's word to change our minds. Even when it's um, not popular in the culture. In 1 Peter 3, uh, 1 through 7, is, is, it speaks to these things. And wrestling through this passage today is going to be important whether you're married or not. And, and I think that's important. Now, last week, Chad and Londa started, and honey, weren't you? So they tag-teamed, and we are picking up where they left off, and we're going to continue looking at this passage and processing it. One of the things Chad and Londa emphasized last week is the statement that submission is not something I demand of you. It's a gift I give to you, from me to you. So that phrase, we're taking that into today, and we're going to continue looking at the passage. So we're going to read. Yeah, let's stand together, and let's read 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7 today. Now, we're on the screen is the old NIV, because that's how I'm trying to memorize this book through that, and, and so uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Honey, why don't you start? Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word... They may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair, the wearing of gold jewelry, and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treating them with respect and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And this is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, now we've, we define submission this way throughout this entire uh, look at 1 Peter 2 and now into chapter 3, that submission is when I yield my will to your will so that we'll walk together. And that's hard, isn't it? Submission is hard. We, 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 have a, we struggle to surrender our will because we want to do things our way. And, and we're all that way. Every, every one of us tend to be that way. Now, we've got to understand the context of this passage. Peter's writing. 
And we see this in, in chapter 1 when he, when he gives the audience of this, of this letter. Uh, he, he's writing to believers that are scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, which is Asia Minor. And, and this is the first century, and so the church is facing incredible persecution. It's a very difficult time to walk with the Lord. And, and, and you know, here's what's interesting about this per, the persecution of the day. In spite of the persecution, in spite of the difficulty, the church was growing. And the gospel was advancing. And so look, look, as I, I think we're on the front edge of a culture that's becoming more and more hostile to biblical principles. But, but I'll tell you, I'm encouraged by, by the historic reality of Christianity, that all through history, and this is what's fascinating, if you just trace the history of Christianity, when the church is facing difficulty, the gospel advanced rapidly. When the church was in power, they struggled. They became less effective. So, so here's why I think 1 Peter is very important for us to understand in our modern context. But, but, but here's, what, here's what was happening in the church, that, that the gospel was advancing so rapidly, you, you found there were a lot of husbands and wives that they, they were both lost, but then one of the spouses got saved. One of the spouses came to Christ. And, and now here they found themselves in a, in a marriage with one believer and an unbeliever. And, and oh my goodness, I, I, I wish all of you could have seen the first service today. Um, I baptized uh, a, a, a young married man named Rowdy. Rowdy Hoover got baptized today, and, and God used his wife, Abigail, in his life. And, and just a few days ago, we're at the coffee shop, Owasso Coffee Co., and he gets saved at the coffee shop and got baptized today. And it was just this passage lived out because here's what you have. You, you have unbelieving spouses. Now, now, last night, I got to preach a wedding at the Patriot. And it was, oh, my goodness, it was the uh, Avery Miller got married. Some of you may not know the Millers, but Avery and, and Dakota Clark, they got married last night. And, and, oh, my goodness, it was so much fun. Um, I'd never done this in a wedding uh, before. But Avery and Dakota said, look, and what's interesting about their love story is they, they both grew up in Owasso. Uh, Avery went to Rejoice, and Dakota went to Owasso High School. And, um, and then, uh, they, but they never met. Then they even went to camp together. I mean, all these things, we'll talk about these things on the floor. We didn't, like, forget to sweep up. Um, but we'll tell you about those. But, but uh, Avery and Dakota went to False Creek together, but still never met. And then they go to OBU, and Dakota notices, notices Avery. They got married last night, and it was super cool. Because one of the things that, that Avery said, Avery and Dakota, when we met with them, they said, here's what we want to do at our wedding. They said, um, um, we want to have a moment after we take our vows and exchange rings that we want to go over to the side and pray. And Chris, we want you to share the gospel with everybody in the room. So they did, we did that yesterday. I'd never done it like this in a wedding. I've done a lot of weddings. But they went over to the side and I looked at everybody that had come, their friends and their family, and shared the gospel with them. Now, now, now they did it right. And here's what, you realize that as a, as a pastor, one of the things that I always ask before I preach a wedding is, are you both believers? Because, the, you know, 2 Corinthians 6.14 
commands us, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So if you're not married today and you know Christ as your Savior, I, I, I want you to know you're, the Bible tells you not to marry an unbeliever because that's an unequal yoke. But here's what's happening in 1 Peter. There are many that have found themselves now because of Christ, they were unequally yoked. Well, what do they do? Do they get rid of their husband or their wife? No. First Peter speaks to this. Something that's very cool to see in the context, too, is that women in this day did not have a voice. They did not have the, the ability to speak up or own property or have that um, equality with a husband. So the context that Peter's asserting how those wives who are now Christ followers, this might have been astonishing at this time, that a wife would do something different than her husband or believe in a different God than her husband. It would have just been kind of mind-blowing. But Peter is asserting these wives are Christ followers. Here's what you do now. So um, it's just a really nice thing to notice in the context that this is just every Every person who follows Christ, this is what we do to win others to Christ. So now, I think it's very important, and I, and I want us to. I, I want to just say this because this is a moment that I think the Bible speaks to God's plan for marriage, that the role, the roles, the biblical roles in marriage. And I'll tell you, but without apology, we are a people that are saying, Lord, you have the right to change our thinking. We are to think like you think. We're to surrender to what your plan is. And from, from, you know, let's understand God's plan for marriage. It's not between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. And, and I realize we're in a culture now that I could be accused of hate speech by just making that statement. But, but we've got to allow God's word to stand. And this is who we are. The biblical plan for marriage, the roles of, of marriage were given by God. They're not random. They're not reversible. This is very important to understand. The, uh, this was given to, at the beginning of creation, this was given. And, and here's what's happened, be, as, and we're seeing it play out in front of us, that, that it's sin, that when sin entered the picture, that distorted the role of a husband and wife. And that's where we're, we're seeing the results of sin. And, and, and sin didn't create the role of, of man and women and submission and headship. Sin didn't create that. It ruined it. It's distorting it. And, and, and sin has distorted the original design of God. And this is something that the Bible's clear on. And so as, as, as followers of Jesus... As followers of Christ, with an, with an authoritative view of the Word of God, because that's who we are, God's Word is an authority in our lives. And so we submit to God. That's where we started this entire series. We submit to God. We submit to what God's Word says. And so we have to allow it to stand. Now, uh, there's many places in the Bible that speaks to the, this role. Ephesians 5 um, we right. looked at that. Ephesians 5, 22 and 23, or through 33, has a passage that we recognize as really wise literature for us to look at for wives and husbands' instruction. And we see that if we think about this, how sin has distorted things, 
we can see wives are told, let your fallen submission be redeemed by modeling it after God's intention for the church. His intention for the church is to follow him, that the church yields to the Lord, that the church follows God. And husbands, let your fallen headship be redeemed by modeling it after God's intention for Christ. Headship is not a right to control or abuse or neglect. Jesus Christ showed the pattern. He sacrificed himself. He gave himself up for the church. He loved the church and laid his life down for the church. So the husband's responsibility is to love his wife like Christ in leading her, protecting her, providing for her, and for the wife to receive that, for the wife to let her husband lead her, to, for her to follow him, for her to receive that protection, for her to receive his provision, and to recognize that it is a healthy and beautiful gift. Let's look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, notice this, that they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of their lives. And then it says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as the wearing of gold jewelry, braided hair or the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Notice that. This is of great worth in God's sight. Now, um, I just want to confess to you, Robin and I both fixed our hair today. Although so, it might have taken me a little longer than yeah, you. <laughs> doesn't take me as long, but that's cool. Um, uh, uh, um, but... But, you know, we, we're, like, we're wearing jewelry today. I'm wearing a necklace, and she's got a necklace on. I've got my wedding rings on, my, my OBU go buy some class ring. Um, but, uh, but, but, you know, um, let's understand the context of this. This is not saying you shouldn't fix your hair. It's not a sin. to br- It wasn't a sin for the OU softball girls to have those braids that they had, right? That's not a sin against God. Let's understand what God's word is saying here. Because this is a command to focus on the inner self. This is for us to be focusing our inner self, our inner unfading, unperishing self that God is developing. The outward appearance fades away. And remember how God told the prophet Samuel in the Old Testament when he was looking for which son to anoint? And he was seeing which one of David's brothers, and it ended up being David. God said, I look at the heart, not the outward appearance. So what really matters to our Father is our inner self. And when we are preoccupied and focused only on the outward appearance, we're missing the boat. The outward beauty changes and fades away, and it is not what lasts. It is not what truly matters. Our inner heart, our inner beauty, which is, as the scripture says, of great worth in God's sight. How beautiful is that? The hidden person of the heart is what God values the most. God's very sight, he says it's very precious in his sight. And I, and I don't want us to miss something here because it's easy to look at this passage and go, look, the first six verses are for women and, the, and guys only have to follow one verse here. 
that's missing the point. Because if you're just thinking, yeah, that whole inner beauty thing is just for women. Yeah, don't, uh, you just need to be, you ladies need to be focused on your inside. Guys are exempt from that. That's not true. Um, actually, Jesus was pretty clear in Matthew 23 with the, the, the Pharisees. Remember those Pharisees? That was this interaction with the Pharisees that basically Jesus picked a fight with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, and he looked at them and said, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. On, on the outside, you look all good, but on the inside, you're dead. Now, there's a point I want us to get. Point number one is very important, and, and it's for all of us that, that and, and I think this is evident in this passage, that your closest relationships reveal the depth of your walk with Christ. Let's think about this. I mean, I, mean, I, I look at, Robin knows me the most. I can't hide from her. She has seen me at my very, very best. She's seen me at those moments where all of you would go, cool, that's my pastor. That's awesome. She's also been there in those moments that if you were witnessing, you'd be like, that's my pastor? Oh, my goodness. I can't hide from her. But let's think about this. This is the beauty of Dakota and Avery last night. They, they wanted me to share the gospel with the people at their wedding who were their family and closest friends. And here's, have you, have you heard that? I remember this as a kid growing up. My youth minister always said this to me, that, that the real rev, the, the, a real revelation of your walk with the Lord is how you live at home. That, that reveals what your walk with the Lord looks like. It's not what you are on the outside in public. It's what are you like at home? So if you really want to do a measure or a test on how, what is the strength of my walk with the Lord, evaluate how you live when nobody's looking, when you're at home. And, and this is, I think, the heart of this passage. That, and he goes on and says, verse 4, instead you're, 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 it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is a great worth in God's sight. And then he uses the example of Sarah. Interesting example, Sarah. Uh, like Sarah, um, well, verse 5, for this is the way the holy women of the past, notice this, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. Like Sarah, and this is a little controversial in our, in our culture today, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her, her master, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. And so I'll let you tackle that. That is a little bit of an uncomfortable statement. We read that today in 2022. What do we do with that? Are we looking at this as prescriptive? Is this the Bible saying that this is how to do this? Or is it describing and I think it's the describing that Sarah followed the leadership of her husband. It's not prescribing that husbands should put their wives in danger and lie and say that they're their sister. Like Abraham did. If Abraham you have, did. Look at Abraham, what he did to Sarah. And, uh, but yeah, but that wasn't the, a good example. The wisdom is Sarah followed the leadership of her husband and she hoped in God. And that applies right now. So every wife here, we know when we follow Sarah's example of hoping in God and following the leadership of our husband, that's the wisdom of Scripture right there. And, and one of the things I, th I think we see here is that submission to others is a powerful way to point people to Christ. That when you're submissive to, to, to your boss, 
when you're, not for something unethical, right? I'm not saying that. There's, there are lines that you don't submit to. But, um, but when you submit to your, in, your, in your relationships with your spouse, that's a way to point people to Christ. And, and I think this is, uh, this is very important. And I don't want us to miss the clear unified message to men and to women here in all seven of these verses. And I get that by, by saying, look at, look at verse 7, husbands in the same way. Notice that. See that? Husbands in the same way, um, it says, be consider- husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. So, so I think there's a unified message here that, and, and this is a, in Ephesians 5 calling, when Ephesians 5, 20, 21 says, and that's this biblical, uh, incredible passage on, on marriage where it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's what you see here. You see this, this desire to say, God, I'm going to have a reverence for you. And I want to challenge us to live our lives in reverence to Christ. I mean, think how that would transform your, your marriage. Think how, think how that would transform your work life. And, and you know, when, when and I'm still trying to wrap my mind around Ephesians 5, where it talks about submission. I mean, deal so with that for a second. one of the things that we can see for instructions to the wives, we see in that Ephesians 5 passage that we are to submit to our husband as to the Lord. Well, what does that mean? It means we are to honor our husband, show honor. There should not be doubt. He should know that I honor him and that I lean into him, that I respect him. And it's clear publicly and privately that I respect him and that I follow him. When he's leading, I follow. I'm not going to go my own way. I'm gonna follow my husband and stay close to him. Just like the church is supposed to stay close to Jesus. And that reverence for Christ is so big. Like Ephesians 5 is so very cool because, and I I used this last night in the wedding. I said to Dakota, Ephesians 5 says that, Dakota, you're to love your wife like Christ loved the church. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. I'm to love this lady like Christ loved the church. Oh, my goodness. The implications of that are huge. Like, when I think about that, I mean, that's, there's patience there. There's kindness. There should be kindness here. There's boldness here. There's protection. There's leadership. There's, there's friendship. There's loyalty there's um, a commitment. Think about this. A commitment that never quits. There's, there's this continual seeking of a relationship that should be here. And that's, that's the biblical view. Now, the bottom line, I think, point two is, is important, and let's connect with this. That when, you, when I look at this passage, and... In verses 1 and 2, look at back verse 1 and 2 again, because it says, If any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of their lives. Now, you see this really great example of trusting God. And, and can I just challenge you? Trust God to work in your marriage. 
Trust God to be at work in the lie in your relationship. Now, now I know some of you are like, well, hey, Chris, I'm single. Okay, we got some uh, Pierce. Are you are you still single? You're, you're, there's no. Are there any prospects on the? No prospects yet. That hair's cool. I, I think I may grow it like that. I'm gonna start mine today. I love that. I wish I could do that. That probably will look weird on me, so I won't. But 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 here's. Let me let me just say something to those of you that are single. Being single is okay. It's not. It's not that you're lacking. Because you're single. There's so many in our society that, that articulate to those that are single that you're somehow incomplete. You're not. Um, let's, let's think about Paul and Jesus. I would say those are two pretty important big uh, figures in the Scripture, right? Yeah. They were both single. Now, now I don't know what the Lord's going to do in your life if you're single. I don't know if the Lord's going to bring someone to your life, but can I tell you, you th- this day and a, mo- a message like this is so very important, even to those of you that are single. Because you don't build a great marriage the m- minute you decide, okay, I guess I'll marry them. No, that happens way before you say, I do. So some of you are single and you're praying for God to give you a spouse. Hey, you know what? Get, you know who may be putting that on your heart? God may be putting that on your heart. So that's why leaning into, even if you're single, in a moment like today, it's even, it, don't, don't check out and go, well, that's not for me. And, and I want you to trust God to work in your life. And that's the posture here. Now, uh, and you see lots of things. You see like your, your actions are speaking louder than your words. And, and that's something that we have really processed. Like we've wanted to, uh, we, we try to do some things. We want to give you five practices that we try to do in our marriage. And I'd like to say, to tack into that for our wives here today about actions speaking louder than words, it's the wise wife who does not try to manipulate her husband. Because you can see in this example in 1 Peter 3 that husbands may be won over without a word. So it's not about talking the husband into something or becoming a nag. In fact, if we are tempted to do that, women, watch out because Proverbs 21.19 says it may be better for our husband to live in a desert. Proverbs 21.19 says it's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. I don't want to be that kind of wife. And we may win our husbands over without a word when our actions speak louder than words. So trusting God to work in our marriage. So here are some of those important practices. And not that we, disclaimer, we are not the perfect marriage. There is no such thing as a perfect marriage or perfect people. And we don't have it all figured out. But we would love to share some things that are helping us along our journey of almost 28 years. And these are some tips that we really try to use in our own daily, weekly, monthly lives. So encouraging words, encouraging words every day. Make the, the point to share encouraging words with your spouse. Speak words of life to each other. Recognize the strengths and verbalize them. And, and say the kind things that are encouraging. I see that you did this. I value this. You're so good at that. I love it when. And you just 
praise your spouse in the moment. Recognize their strengths and their abilities and let it be words of life. Don't let those words go unsaid. Share them and encourage each other. And another thing that we, we look for sweet surprises. Uh, and, and, like, I try to have fun with this, like putting a picture with no shirt on in her lunchbox. And I'm just kidding. I've never done that. <laughs> he puts all kinds of funny that. things in my lunchbox. But, but like, like, I do, like, I'll get her coffee in the morning. And then there are a couple of times I've, I've uh, put it on the toilet. Uh, like with the lid down. The lid's down. Yeah, the lid's down. And, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, just fun things, sweet surprises. You know, um, and, I've, and I don't have time to go into all of our story, but, but when, when Eric and Emily were little, I went through a, a time in my life that I was not being a faith, like a, I wasn't home. I was working. I was using ministry to work and be away from home. And I was confronted by some people in my life. And I, and I went to counseling and I changed. And I'll tell you something I've, I've learned and, I, and I've done, I've tried to do this. Yes, you You do. know, since then, I've really, I really had to repent as a husband. But I tried to look at Robin and, and try to, have that moment where she's like, I, I can't believe you just did that. Thank you. Um, and, and I would challenge you husbands and wives. Go for that at least once a week. Do something for your spouse where they give that reaction like, thank you for that. So sweet surprises. One is selfless serving. When we as husbands and wives are in a constant cycle of serving each other and putting the other person first, it creates this really great appreciation and motivation of continuing it. So if I am selfless, if I'm doing something that I think my husband will prefer over my own preferences, then he will be grateful for that. And it causes just a more likely um, consistent attitude for both of us to do that. If we try to just even outdo each other with being selfless mm -hmm. and sacrificing, mm -hmm. that is the pattern of all kinds of good things happening for each other and building each other up. And then this is something I've had to work on, and I'm, I'm, I'm still working on it, but it's having a listening ear. You know, guys, have you ever... Um, your wife is sharing some things with you and you're really not listening. You're thinking, oh, well, I would do this, this, and this. I can solve this problem really easy. But has that not worked out for you? It hasn't for me very often. And uh, I'm trying to learn to just and listen. Listen. Let's, let's, let's listen to one another. You know, sometimes in our marriages, we don't listen. Let's work on that. That's something I'm trying to work on. And the last one we want to mention is eliminating harmful habits. Eliminate those habits that hurt each other. For an example, using always or never in the negative are really hurt, hurtful and untrue things to do. Like They're great example. in the positive. Give an example of well, always. Well, in the positive, yes, I'll always love you. Yes, I'll never leave you. Yes, use that. Say those things but, and, and mean them. But, but you, yeah, in yeah. the negative, if we were to say something like, you're always late, or you never remember important dates, or you're always, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Those are untrue statements that cause defensiveness because the person who's being accused of that instantly wants to rise up and say, but that's not true. I did such and such, and I remember this, and it causes an argumentative defensiveness. 
And that doesn't help resolve conflict, it creates more conflict. Using always or never in a negative way is a hurtful habit. And we encourage you to just eliminate that. Don't have always and never in your vocabulary unless it's in the positive. And I don't want you to miss verse 7. And, and let's connect to the unified message to both husbands and wives in both of these sections. of the, the Even though one is directed to the wives, one's directed to the husbands. But husbands, in the same way, be considerate. Man, isn't that, wouldn't that be a powerful thing in your marriage, in your life, to be considerate? How often are we not considerate? Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Now, this is an interesting, controversial statement, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Okay, you speak to that. Well, the phrase weaker partner, rather than being offended by that, I see that that's really actually got a lot of wisdom in here. This is not saying I'm less worthy. It's not saying I'm less valued. It's actually, I'm feeling cherished because it's a physical descriptor. And also contextually, this was a social descriptor because a wife had no voice and could not have any kind of um, social standing on her own. But right here, this is, this is for my good. This is as a wife, I can, instead of feeling it like it's a slam on my strength, this isn't saying that I'm not a weak, it's not saying I'm a weak person, it's saying that even if I'm a strong woman, I have the position of being cherished and protected by my husband. And the physical descriptor that I'm weaker than he is does not offend me in any way. It just helps me recognize I can be treasured and protected. And that's a healthy and good thing. Now, the next part of this, verse 7, this will be somewhat of a controversial statement in the day we're in today because so many of us are, so many people in our world are doing what's right in their own eyes. But the, the last part of verse 7 speaks to why God designed marriage between a man and a woman and not between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. Because it's in marriage that we are heirs of the gracious gift of life. And it is only, uh, like it's interesting, in the, that God has designed marriage. And the reason why sex has been placed under that umbrella of marriage. Because that is, marriage is the most sacred relationship known to mankind. I have some really good friends. I mean, Brad Ayler and I have been friends since college. Dear, dear friends. But I didn't have a ceremony with Brad like I did with her. I made a vow to her. And what I said in my vow, I said, um, I said, um, with this ring, I thee wed. I looked at her, I said, I pledge my life, put that ring on her hand. I said, I pledge my life and my love to you. And I said to her, all I am, all I have, all I hope to be is yours. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I said those words to her. And you know what? Peter writes, it's in marriage that we are heirs. 
to the gracious gift of life. And notice what he says, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Look, life's hard. We, we just sang at the very, very beginning of the service that, that, that we're in a battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. And I'll tell you, the, the heart of this whole passage, the heart of this is, is, is you see this, this consistently turning to the Lord. And then that's, that's who we need to be as men and women. As a church, a, a people that are saying, Lord, we're going to turn to you. Those, those that are teenagers in the room, uh, uh, I, I want to challenge you to turn to the Lord. What I love about going to camp, all these, all these things right here, these are, these are kids going to camp. And you know what I love about camp is it's a moment we, we challenge our, our teenagers to turn to the Lord. And you know what, here in this passage, we see this call to turn to the Lord so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You know what it tells me? That there are things I can do that my prayers will be hindered. Let me tell you, as a pastor, I don't want my prayers to be hindered. As a husband, I don't want my prayers to be hindered. Oh my goodness, as a father, I love my children so much. I don't want my prayers to be hindered. And I'll tell you what, two weeks ago, we... Our world radically changed. As a grandfather, excuse me, as a padre, that's my name. I don't want my prayers hindered. Look, let's allow God's word to shape our thinking, to shape our lives. Let's be a people that, that seek the Lord. Do you have anything else? Yeah, I want you to tell, we've seen this. We saw it today. And then end with, with that. So Kelly Ayler shared this story at our Mission Church location in Tulsa last Sunday. And it's an example that lives out 1 Peter 3. Kelly's mom lived out this whole story. And in, we, in looking at it, we can see an example of living in purity and reverence, just like all of us are supposed to do. So Kelly shared that her mom and dad were married for over 15 years while her mom was a believer and her dad was not. He was not from a church background. He did not have any understanding of the gospel and he was resistant. And Kelly's mom, instead of trying to talk him into it and nag him into it, she wisely followed 1 Peter 3 and she quietly prayed. She loved her husband and submitted to him and never gave up praying for him. And her love for him and her pure life eventually showed the fruit that he responded and he wanted the gospel in his own heart. Um, around when Kelly was about one, um, she had her mom had been loving and praying and submitting to her dad. And due to her obedience and faithfulness and prayer, God changed the heart of her dad and her dad received Christ as his Lord and Savior. And not just in one moment, but he, was, he received salvation and then it changed his life, the rest of his life. He served faithfully in their church for years and years. He was a deacon. For over 30 years, he was a teacher in their children's ministry. 
at their church. And a little over a year ago, uh, or almost a year ago, Kelly's dad passed away at the age of 80. And she shared that he literally walked the halls of their church, serving their church, until he could no longer walk. And that example of his life and the influence that his wife had in him receiving Christ gives us inspiration. And to see that without a word, she won his heart by her actions, by the loving, faithful prayers that she prayed, like Ezekiel 37, 27, where we pray for our loved ones to have a heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone. She prayed for her husband, and he faithfully, God faithfully saved her husband. So here's how we're going to end today. Uh, we, we've tried every, every week to end with a specific mission life challenge. Can I challenge you to do something today? If you are married, I, I want you to, to express, whether it's written form and then share it, or just you do it at lunch today, 10 10 things that you're grateful for, for your spouse. And, and I don't want to challenge you, if you have kids and you're there with you, do it in front of them. 10, 10 things, 10 reasons you're grateful for the spouse that God's given you. If you're not married, here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want you to write down 10 things you're grateful for in your life. You know what's good? It's just helpful to, to recognize how God's at work how God has blessed you, how God has led you. But I'll tell you, um, let's allow God's word to shape our thinking, to change our minds. This is very important, especially as we live in a world that is shifting. I'm thankful that God's word doesn't. And God's word gives you the plan for your life like a lamp to your feet, like a light to your path. Now, it's time for an invitation. And here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to ask Robin to be down front today. And maybe, maybe you're a lady in this room and you just want to pray for your husband. I, I want you to know that we, Robin will be down front if you want to do that. But there's some things that we need to pray for today. Um, all these uh, bracelets, our kids going to camp. And uh, we got a bunch of them. And um, we need to be praying for them. And, and so I want to challenge you to, as the invitation is given, let's get all these kids prayed for. The first service uh, took some, and now we're replenishing. We've replenished them. This is every kid going to camp, every person going to camp tomorrow. And I want to challenge you to wear it on your wrist. I'm going to be playing, praying for Olivia Serio. And, and you know what? Let's wear that this week. Let's remind ourselves to pray every day for these kids, for the Lord to speak, for the Lord to move in their lives. But you know what else we need to pray for? We need to pray for Joe. Joe, why don't you come down? I'm so proud of Joe McKean. He's one of our pastors here. He leads worship and and uh, and. Trevor's, are you going tomorrow? You going? Trevor's going, and Trevor, uh, and Shay, come on, you're going. Is anybody else in the band here? Sean, come on. You know, God has opened the door for this our band to lead worship at Falls Creek this year. Over, I think there's about six thousand kids coming, 
and they're leading worship all week. And we need to pray over them. I want to ask some people to specifically come and surround them and pray for them. For the Lord to just anoint them. For the Lord to give them power. For the Lord to use them to help point all of these teenagers to Jesus. Not only the hundred and however many are going with us, but the thousands that will be at False Creek. I'm proud of Joe. Aren't you proud of him? Aren't you thankful for him? Let's give him, I'm thankful. And um, so this is a day we got to move. If you need prayer over your marriage, over your family, hey, these altars are open. And can I tell you, there is power in prayer. Real power. And so let's move today. Would you stand where you are? Lord Jesus, we uh, with joy lay our hands on Joe and our band today. We, we with joy come and, and, and pray for these teenagers that are going to camp. And Father, we with joy submit to your word and allow your Holy Spirit to use your word to change our thinking and shape our minds. Would you lead us, Lord? Would you use us? Would you teach us? Lord, I know that there's some that are single today that want to be married. Would you, would you open that door? There's some that are single, their spouse is in heaven. Father, would you comfort and strengthen? Lord, I pray that you would use your word today to shape us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.